It's time for Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3. Brought to you by Thielen Meats, Oars and Mine Marine in Crosby, Bermel Shoe Store in Randall, Live Axe Marine in Isle, and by Radco, your truck accessory pros. Now, here's your host for Brainerd Outdoors, Brian Moon. Welcome back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3. I'm Brian Moon, and here we are, our deer opener special, anticipating this for quite some time and back with us. Brent Beimert with Beimert Outdoors Archery Pro Shop. Uh, I guess we'll start off, Brent, talking about decoys uh, because they can play a real important role this time of year. If people aren't using decoys, they're really missing out because it's so fun and exciting um, to have a deer come into the decoy. Uh, a lot of times, you know, a person will grunt or rattle and a deer will hang up 50, 60 yards and he's just scanning, looking for that other deer. When, when he doesn't see nothing, a lot of times they'll turn around and walk away. You have a decoy out in place, and they see that decoy, they're going to come to it. Because they came to the calls, now they have the visual, now they're locked in. And it's fun. What's the biggest mistake people make when they put decoys out? Odor, touching them. Um, I use gloves all the time when I do it. I spray that whole decoy down with a away spray. And then the direction of where they're faced. A buck is typically, 99% of the time, is going to come to the front of a decoy. He's going to come to the front shoulder, or he's going to come to the head. So what I do, out at about 30 yards, I face that decoy right at my tree. So I get that deer to quarter around the decoy to the front, and all of his focus is going to be directed on the decoy. And, I mean, you can almost dance in your stand at that point. And then he's going to come in 25 yards broadside looking at the decoy and you can let him have it from there is 30 yards about the distance you want your decoy from or do you can you put it a little closer from your stand yeah absolutely um i've had them as close as 20 yards if you've shot the deer at 15 yards then you know um i like to have a little bit of room for error movement noise something of that sort so a lot of times my decoy is between 20 and 30 yards depending upon the setup now the other day I was in a tree in North Dakota. I actually had the decoy out at 35 or 37 yards, but you also don't want to set a decoy up in real thick woods because uh, you, want it, you want them to be able to see it from a distance. If they're coming through real thick woods and all of a sudden, bang, there's a decoy, it can spook them. You want them to be able to see it from a distance. So that's why I had my decoy out at 37 yards. I was down in an oak draw. So down in the bottom, I could see a long ways each direction from the decoy and I put him in the middle so a deer that was 75 yards down in the draw he could see that decoy coming down so I had it out at, uh, at 35 or 37 yards. Now you mentioned earlier in the show that we're pretty much into peak rut right now so uh, hunters obviously looking for scrapes that the uh, bucks are putting out there. Uh, maybe you've got a piece of property you're hunting though that doesn't have any scrapes but you're seeing some deer sign. Uh, you can make your own scrape to try and fool these deer. We like to call them mock scrapes. For those that have never done that before, Brent, how would they go about that? I'll a lot of times find a stick on the ground, um, and I don't touch anything. I don't kick it away with my boots. I don't grab anything with my hands. I use that stick to make the scrape, and then I chuck it, get rid of it. Uh, I don't want it nowhere laying around there. And then I'll try to break the branches up above a little bit. I don't know if it you know, really does anything, but there's always the licking branch, and they're always broken up. But uh, I pour the buck urine right in that scrape and go from there. But the scent control on the person, 
you know, you have to watch that too. Um, you know, dirty boots or hands or something of that sort. You, I use a, like I say, a broken branch. I a lot of times do uh, edge of my food plots, put it out in the open more so than in the middle of the woods. Uh, I use it around my food plots mainly. And can you get that, the licking branch, as you mentioned, too? How high off the ground do you want that? Because you don't want it too low. No, um, five, six feet fine. I've even seen deer on video, the licking branch, I've seen deer get on their hind legs and, and rub their antlers up in a licking branch that we can't hardly even reach. And, and they'll go up that high for it sometimes. Typically, though, it's at their head level, higher, higher than their head level. They stick their head up in it, you know. And we do have this product called a Branch Magic, too, and it's a, it's a time-released uh, buck-licking branch gel that a person can put above, and it does put uh, some of the gland odor on that licking branch. And how much scent do you want to put into the scrape as well? I spray a fair amount in it. They do, so I do in return. I put a fair amount in it so they, they can smell it. And with us being in peak rut right now, rattling really comes into play. How aggressive do you want to be this weekend with that? It's aggressive. I'm not going to tickle the horns together anymore. I'm going to hammer them. And that's the one thing that we've always talked about, and this kind of goes with grunts as well. You don't want to over-rattle or over-grunt. That's probably the biggest mistake hunters make, huh? Yeah, um, you can. uh, You know, guys are out there. I wait an hour. I'm usually an hour in between my rattling and grunting sequences. If I'm just blind grunting and rattling, if I see an animal, um, you know, I'll grunt at him until he reacts of either, either come in or go away. You know, I'll grunt at him the whole time, you know, to get his attention. I usually start with some grunts before I start rattling. Short bursts, burp, burp, you know, and then a, a good one. And then I wait, and then I just I visually scan the area for, I don't know, two to five minutes. And if anything reacts from that grunt call, and then if nothing comes in, then I hit the horns. And that's when I start. Uh, that's Brent Beimert, Beimert Outdoors Archery Pro Shop. You can check him out just west of Brainerd Baxter on Highway 210. And Brent will be joining us here throughout the fall, throughout late season bow, muzzle loader, as well with some tips. So we'll look forward to that. More of Brainerd Outdoors after this on B93.3. back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3. A lot of hunting talk on the show this week for obvious reasons with deer opener on the horizon. And uh, we bring in Kelsey Lashar. She is with the Minnesota DNR and the Wildlife Health Program. Kelsey, welcome to the show. Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me. Yeah, let's, let's talk about CWD because uh, that's one of the things that you're kind of heading up on uh, with the DNR and you're very heavily involved in. And uh, we've got a, a bit of an issue with that here in Crow Wing County, and I thought maybe I'd let you talk a little bit about that because right here in that deer permit area 604 is kind of a hot zone right now, isn't it? It is. So uh, CWD, which stands for chronic wasting disease, is a disease that affects the deer family. So this is everything from deer, elk, uh, mule deer, reindeer, caribou, moose, um, and it's a fatal disease, and it's neurologic. So these animals will have this disease for a year and a half to three years before they start to exhibit signs. Um, it is always fatal. There's no vaccine. There's no cure. Uh, we did fo- we found a wild deer with CWD in February of 2019, and so we've been doing surveillance 
in the Brainerd Aiken area um, for the past two years, uh, just to make sure that it hasn't spread any farther than that. And basically, what you guys are looking for is hunters to participate in, you know, taking deer and getting them tested and everything. How's I? From what I heard last year, there was a lot of hunter participation in that. Um, you, do you foresee that happening this year as well? Yeah, so last year we were really surprised. Obviously, it was mandatory testing last year because of DPA 604. That's just one of the regulations that if you're going to hunt in that deer permit area, you have to get your deer tested. Um, And so we had really good compliance. It was in the high 90%. Um, This year, because of COVID-19, we didn't want to have any face-to-face interactions with hunters um, just to reduce the risk to both hunters and DNR staff. So this year, it'll be voluntary. Hunters can drop off their deer head at a um, self-sampling station, and we got six of them in the uh, DPA 604, and I can rattle those off to you in a minute. So hunters will drop off their head on a voluntary basis, uh, and then they'll get collected a couple times a week, and we'll pull the samples and get them shipped off to the lab. So far, we're seeing only about 30% compliance, which is lower than we would like. We really need hunters to to submit these samples because there's no way to actually see how the deer herd's doing until, you know, we actually get samples and test them and see uh, what the results are. So we really need hunters to, to submit their deer for testing, especially the adults. The fawn are, uh, fawn are less likely to have the disease, um, but those, you know, mature bucks and those older does, those are really important to get tested. And if you do want to drop off a sample, um, you can visit one of our self-sampling stations at either Brainerd or Pine River, Nisswa, Emily, Aiken, and Crosby. And one question I get a lot from hunters is, what do I do with my deer carcass or, you know, once you get it, uh, you know, skinned out and everything like that, what do I do with the hide? Uh, what, what would be your answer there? So if you're in any other part of the state that you don't have um, CWD, you can do what you've always done. But since we have had a wild case in DPA 604, we want hunters to be really conscientious of what they're doing with the carcass. If an animal is positive, those prions, which cause the disease, are going to be throughout the whole carcass. And so we want to make sure that we're getting these off the landscape um, and away from potentially contaminating other other deer into the future. And so um, if you shoot a deer in DPA 604, number one, get it tested. Number two, um, you can um, skin it out like you would normally. Um, If you keep the hides to do deer gloves, you can do that. There's some drop boxes around for like MDHA. Um, you can quarter up your deer. We would suggest that you freeze the meat um, and wait till you get test results until you do anything further with it. And then the carcass uh, can go to the crowing landfill. And so there's a couple ways that can happen. The crowing landfill themselves have a dumpster on site, so you can bring your deer carcass straight to them. Uh, right now, for archery season, we have dumpsters at Brainerd, Aiken, and Emily. But starting with firearm season, we'll have dumpsters at all six locations. We also have a tripod and some supplies. You can actually quarter your deer on site. So after you get your deer gutted, just visit one of our six sampling sites, um, use the tripod, get your deer quartered up, and then throw the carcass in the dumpster, and we'll take it from there. You know, you mentioned getting it gutted, and I don't want to, you know, use a bad term here, but what do you do with the gut pile, as we like to call it? Uh, do you leave it there? Do you is, is there anything you need to do with that, too? The gut pile is is less risk. So the majority of these prions, if your deer is positive, are going to be in the head and the spinal column. So that's the part we want to get off the landscape. There is a very low risk um, involved with the gut piles, but not enough that we are at, that we are suggesting that people scoop their gut piles up and put them in the dumpster. 
So if you've got your deer in the woods, you can just leave it there. Um, but the, that, the rest of the carcass is what we want to get into the dumpster. And the feeding bands obviously are in place. I know hunters are a little frustrated with that too, but there's a reason behind that. Yeah, so with the feeding and the attractant ban, we're basically trying to reduce the amount of artificial congregation of deer in the wild. So we know that deer are going to touch nose to nose all the time anyways. You know, during the rut, there's going to be a lot of deer interaction, um, and we can't stop that, and we don't want to stop that. But we can halt the human additive. And so by taking away feeding and attractants, we're reducing the chance that a deer could potentially spread it to another deer because otherwise they wouldn't have interacted if a human had not placed that food or bait or attractant out um, to bring them in. And meat processors, are you getting a little feedback from them as well? I mean, I assume they're still taking deer. Yeah, so last year we had several meat processors um, who are on board to help us. Um, They're also listed on our website, um, so you can check them out there. However, across the state, across the nation, we've um, run into a little bit of a COVID issue. So because the domestic meat uh, market has been sort of disrupted by COVID, most of the meat processors are actually booked up through next year with just hogs and cattle. So a lot of them have said, I'm not touching venison just because they don't have time or the manpower to handle venison. It's not really to do with CWD, um, but it is more to do with the fact that they just don't have the, the resources to handle venison right now. So my number one suggestion would be call ahead, call your meat processor, um, and then make sure that they are taking your deer. Um, we do have some listed on our website, but again, they can change their mind at any time. So it's always best to call ahead and uh, just make a plan. And we get this question too, and I've heard various different answers on it from various different people, but you know, can humans get CWD from eating venison? Maybe they didn't know that this deer had, you know, uh, CWD. Is, is that a possibility or is, are humans safe regardless? So to date, there's been no reported cases of CWD infection in people. However, the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, does recommend that you do not eat a known positive animal. Um, there have been some studies um, that, that show that CWD might pose a risk to non-human primates. Um, they were feeding CWD-positive meat to monkeys, and some of them were um, found to be sick and ended up dying after eating that positive meat. So at this point, the CDC says don't eat it if you know it's positive. Something to keep in mind there. Uh, if you guys don't get enough samples because you said it's down, uh, what does that mean? Are you going to continue to test for a longer period, or what are the other options there? Part of it just depends on what the end of the season brings. So um, as I mentioned before, we've been doing this intense surveillance for the wild deer. This is year two, and we had a three-year plan in place when this first started. So regardless, we're going to do sampling again next year. Um, it sort of depends on if we find more positives. Um, we haven't found any except that one. We're really grateful. In the last, since 2017, we've tested over 12,000 deer. So we're very confident that this was not in the wild prior to that one deer that was found um, less than a mile from the positive deer farm and crowing. Um, so we'll have to kind of see what, what the end of the season brings and then make a decision after that as to additional sampling past next year. It's going to be interesting because my feeling is, I mean, I don't have any numbers or anything like that, just a, a gut feeling for me, but I just feel like with everything that's gone on and people being kind of shut down and everything, I think we're going to have a record number of deer hunters out there. So I, I think it's imperative to get this message out because I think if, if we're going to have that many hunters, we're going to have maybe more deer harvested, which means you guys could end up with a lot more samples. 
So I just hope hunters actually take that into mind and uh, heed this advice. Yeah, I, I do, same as you. I don't have numbers right in front of me, but I think uh, harvest is up 10 to 20% and license sales are up massively as well too, which is super exciting. People, a lot of youth were out um, over MEA weekend. A lot of them were successful. That is wonderful. That's super great to hear that we're starting to get more youth back into hunting. Uh, we need more of that <laughs> wherever we can get it. Absolutely. Anything non-hunters should know about this, uh, Kelsey? So uh, the one deer that we found in Crowing County that was positive was actually reported by a non-hunter. Um, it was someone who was doing some cabin maintenance and saw this sickly deer and then found it dead. So if you are a backyard bird feeder or just someone who doesn't hunt, you can still keep an eye out for sick deer. And if you see an animal that looks sick, um, some of the symptoms you're looking for are it's going to be um, really skinny, um, head will be drooping, it might be drooling a little bit, um, kind of lethargic, and it doesn't really seem to be afraid of humans. Um, call your area wildlife office and let them know, and we'll get out there and, and try and get a sample. Um, the more people that can report these kinds of deer, the better chance we have of uh, being able to test that deer before the coyotes get to it. Yeah, and can coyotes, I mean, can they get it too and then spread it as well? At this point, it looks like only deer are affected by this disease. So coyotes should be fine, dogs should be fine, but it's it would be passed to other deer. That's something uh, to keep in mind as well. Anything else, Kelsey, you want to let us know about before we let you go? No, just get your deer sampled and have a plan, um, especially if you think you may harvest a big trophy this year. Uh, call around for taxidermists too. There is a carcass movement restriction, so you can't pull that whole carcass out of the zone until after you get test results back. So you need to be able to take care of that deer within DPA 604. Um, as I mentioned before, you can check out our website. Um, just type in mndnr.gov slash cwd. We have a whole bunch of information on there um, about meat processors and taxidermists, where the stations are, what you have to do. Um, and we'd love to give, be able to get more samples. So keep bringing them to us. There you go. Kelsey Lashar, she's with the DNR in the Wildlife Health Program. Kelsey, great information. I appreciate it. And uh, good luck here in the coming weeks, okay? All right. Thanks very much, Brian. Now, you hear stories from time to time. I know I've heard a ton of them. I have two bucks that'll, that'll be fighting, especially during the rut season. They'll get themselves locked up. And a lot of times, it ends up bad for both deer. Well, you got a call here not too long ago, and you came across something that was uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, I was actually taking a day off on a Sunday. It was a Sunday uh, before deer season. A landowner called, said he was out building a deer stand, and he went out to go check a, a cattail slough. There's a little slough right below his deer stand, 7,500 yards away from his stand. And he walked down to go check uh, what the water level was down in the, in the wet area there. He walked into it and saw a deer standing there, and he said he, the head was down and the deer wasn't running away, and he almost knew right off the top of his head that there was another deer laying there that was probably dead locked up. He said just the way it was standing there. He was pretty sure that there were, there were locked bucks. And sure enough, he walked into them, and uh, there they sat. The one was already dead, and, and uh, the one that still was uh, pretty much alive yet. So he ended up calling State Patrol, and State Patrol called me. And Just as I got the phone call, my dad was driving into the yard. He was going to come visit for the afternoon. And so I hung up the phone, and Dad walked in the house, and I said, you want to go for a ride? And So I suited up and put my uniform on, and Dad says, what are you going to do? I said, I have no idea. <laughs> um, basically kind of started off with, uh, I was going to 
get some rope. I didn't know how how alive this deer was going to be yet. If it was almost dead, if it was you know still full of fire, I had no idea. So I grabbed a blanket and some rope, and without really knowing what I was going to do with any of the stuff, as I was getting ready, Dad told me he says, "Well, he said I've heard of guys actually shooting shooting the antlers off, and that's supposed to work." And I said, "Well, that's an option. We'll see what happens when we get there." So we get there, and landowner drove us back. It was two or three mile drive off the main road actually kind of back in the sticks and within seconds i knew we weren't going to be able to get close enough to that to the deer to, to do anything with our bare hands type stuff the live deer was a i call him a 14 point but all i really know for sure is that he had seven on one side and the other side was real similar so it was a 13 14 15 point deer or something like that and it was a pretty large deer the dead one was a 10 pointer he wasn't quite as big he was he was kind of the the borderline type deer where some guys won't even shoot it if they're in the, in the trophy hunting and the next guy might shoot it and put it on his wall. So it was kind of that borderline 10-pointer. Pretty nice deer, though. That 14 was pretty much tossing him around like a rag doll. It looked like you, you take a rope bone and you're playing with your dog and you're playing tug-of-war with your dog and you start kind of whipping your dog across the floor. Um, that's kind of what was happening with these two guys. It was amazing how, how powerful that deer was. Dad says, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know, maybe I can shoot it off. And the landowner says, well, I don't know. Think, says, what are you going to shoot it with? And I said, well, I've got a rifle, I've got a shotgun, I've got a handgun. What am I going to use? And I kind of hammered it around a little bit. And the deer was actually down in that cattail swamp or slough, and he was pretty much belly deep in the water. And uh, we kind of got a little closer to him to get a look at it to see what was going on. And he just put it, put it in four-wheel drive, and he just backed right out of there, dragged that, dragged that other one right up onto high ground, and dragging him around a little bit and, uh, he'd get tired and i thought well now's our chance so he was standing still and uh had everybody back up and give myself a clear shot so i wouldn't shoot anybody or anything else that i didn't want to hit it took a kind of dancing around a little bit because he'd keep moving and i'd try and get an angle on the tines. So i didn't want to shoot the tines off of that off of that live deer yet uh, the landowner looked at me and he says don't hit the don't hit the live one he says you what next week, weekend is don't you <laughs> yeah i know we'll see how it goes so that got kind of interesting there a couple of times, but uh, the first shot I ended up hitting the left, I believe it's the left G2, and I thought, oh, this this isn't so bad, and the, the rack kind of loosened up a little bit. They were so tight to start with, I mean, there, there was no rattle, no give, no nothing, it was just locked in there solid. After I shot the first time off, it kind of loosened up a little bit, um, you could hear it clicking and clacking a little, so I shot twice more, didn't do so hot that time. That deer didn't particularly care for that loud crack of that bullet going past him starting at it was only about maybe 15 to 20 feet away um, so he'd jump around quite a bit and i'd have to jockey around for position again then I, I believe it was the fourth shot it might have been the third one one of the ones i missed but um, i was just squeezing the trigger on it and he was standing pretty still and wasn't moving and i had a good shot at the time i wanted to hit the trigger was just ready to break the shot was within about a half a pound of trigger pull going off he moved and he put his neck right down in front of my front sight and he almost I almost shot him right in the back of the neck. Dad even said too, he goes, Man, that was close. He says, You were about ready to shoot, weren't you? And I said, Yeah, that was that was really close. But anyway, he finally danced around a little bit and he stopped again and on the, the last shot I got a uh, clipped off the G three, I believe it was. He shook around for five or ten seconds and he got the horns loose and away he went. How long from the time you decided that you were going to use your pistol to try and free these two deer to the point where the deer finally ran off, how long of a time period did this all take? Because it had to have been bang, bang, bang. Yeah, it was uh, like a few minutes, maybe somewhere between five and ten, I would guess. 
I'd huh. say probably closer to five. Well, it's, it's great because a lot of times you don't hear a happy ending like this. Usually you end up, you know, I've talked to people that have found two dead deer that, that, that were locked up. I would have to think you had to feel pretty good that you actually, one of these deer actually made it out of this whole thing. Yeah, that's, that was, was kind of nice. Like you said, usually when they get locked up that, that hard and that solid, they, they just can't get away from each other. And In a rare event, somebody will see a deer that's carrying a dead deer head around. You'll end up breaking the neck off and twisting it around and actually be carrying a deer head around. I've heard that story a couple of times. Um, but it doesn't happen very often. Usually it's a pretty bad outcome for both deer, and um, they both usually end up dead, and somebody finds them, you know, next year or that winter or, or something, you know. This one had a pretty good outcome. It was it was really fun and kind of rewarding to watch that uh, watch that 14 run off. Sure. Now, is this the first time that you've ever come across something like this? That's the first ones I've ever seen, you know, and uh, I know it happens quite a bit. Um, that landowner actually said they had, they found uh, two more, uh, locked together, and I, I believe, I don't know if I got his story exactly straight, but I believe both of those ended up dying. But it does happen on a fairly regular basis, and it you know, kind of makes a guy wonder how often it happens where and these deer are never found. From a CO standpoint, I'm sure you guys, is there some sort of protocol that you guys have when you do go out on a call like this? Because I, 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 there's probably no manual for this sort of thing, is there? No, not really. It's kind of a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants type thing. You just kind of figure out what you got to do when you get there. One of my uh, former supervisors um, actually came across two of them. Somebody had called him up with one, and he's probably a braver man than I. And uh, and I talked to the landowner that was out there on that call, too, and uh, he actually pried him up. One deer was dead, and the other one was almost dead. And he walked up there and stood on the antler and grabbed the other antler. He kind of pried him apart and kind of shook loose and didn't take very long, and that deer ran away, too. So so who's who's got more more guts i don't know i think probably him do you even when you, when you saw that you made this shot uh did you actually step back and go wow did i just do that because it had to have even amazed you huh it was fairly close i mean i guess i wasn't too surprised I and mean, my, my biggest thing i was i was kind of concerned about hitting the the main beam of the live deer uh and if you hit the main beam as solid as that is i mean that has the potential to kill it so i was just really trying not to kill the thing the, the first shot clipped off that time and i thought no this isn't so bad and then I missed two more, and I started getting a little frustrated. I said, okay, i got to buckle down here a little bit and concentrate a little more. But it worked out good. I was kind of impressed with myself, and Dad was just kind of sitting there grinning. <laughs> well, as you should be. It's a fantastic story. Came out with a very happy ending as well. Uh, Greg Oldakowski, he's a conservation officer, telling us about a situation he ran into there just north of Wadena. Greg, thanks for taking the time to chat with us. I appreciate it, and uh, maybe we'll talk to you here in the future. Not a problem. Welcome back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3. And just a couple of things to wrap up here on our deer opener special. And that is, uh, like I said earlier in the show, I, I just got a gut feeling there's going to be a lot more hunters in the woods uh, this weekend. So make sure you uh, take it easy out there. Know what's behind you when you shoot. And uh, be careful in the tree stand, too. I think it's going to be a little windy. So if you want to wear a harness and stuff like that, I know Brent's always preach that uh, we don't want people falling out of tree stands and just be respectful of one another if you see somebody needs a little help help them out you know type of thing but uh, let's enjoy a great deer opener that'll do it for this week's edition of Brainerd Outdoors you can catch the show Saturday mornings just after seven Sunday nights at seven and Monday mornings at five we're also uh, podcastable all over the podcast networks 
So wherever you download your favorite podcast, you can catch Brainerd Outdoors that way and stream us live at todaysbestcountry.com and brainerdoutdoors.com. We'll see you next weekend for another edition of Brainerd Outdoors. I'm Brian Moon. Brainerd Outdoors has been brought to you by Thielen Meats, Oars and Mine Marine in Crosby, Bermel Shoe Store in Randall, Live Axe Marine in Isle, and by Radco, your truck accessory pros. Join Brian Moon Saturday mornings at 7, Sunday evenings at 7, and Monday mornings at 5, right here on B93.3.